Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. There's a cat over here. There's a cat over there. And the wrong one died. And the wrong one died. Welcome to The Wrong Cat Died, the podcast breakdown of the catastrophe. I'm your host, Mike Abrams, and today we have another amazing guest. I've covered a lot of the 2016 revival and the most recent tour, but we've not done a lot about the history and past of cats. So I'm excited to go back to the 1986, 87, and 88 national tour. And so she was Demeter on what was the third national U.S. tour. So welcome, Deborah Genevieve. Athens, and thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. This is going to be fun. I am really excited because my whole history started with seeing 2016, seeing it a second time, and then seeing the 1998 movie. But what I always find fascinating is my first question is almost always, tell me about, like, did you watch the movie growing up or did you see it? But your experiences was before the movie. (laughs) Yes. So take me back to the 80s. It's only been on Broadway for a little bit. Like, what was the, Mm -hmm. what was known about Cats when your tour was brought up? Like, this is the first time it went to major cities outside of New York, right? Yes, it was. So at the time, um, I think Cats opened on Broadway in 82. So um, I arrived in New York a few years after Cats just opened on Broadway. It was still the biggest hit in New York and you couldn't get a ticket to it. So coming to New York as a young dancer, that was the holy grail of Broadway shows. Everybody wanted to be in Cats. And and so I went to numerous replacement calls, cattle calls. I went to uh, auditions for the national tours as they were mounting it. So back in the 80s, there were actually four top-rated companies of cats in the U.S. There was a Broadway company. There was a sit-down L.A. company. Then they mounted uh, another national tour that started in Boston. And ours was the third national tour. And we were the very first tour that traveled to cities across America. So we did one-week stints, two-week stints a month. So we were constantly traveling. It was the first time that audiences actually had the privilege an opportunity of seeing cats. So um, it was uh, an, a tremendous experience. You know, think about it like we were the Hamilton of its time. <laughs> it was a big, big deal. And, and you know, it's funny. My niece now tells me, oh, Aunt Deb, you were, you were in cats back when it was cool, right? So, you know, even now I'm no longer in the business. And when people find out I was in cats, they ask me if I was in the revival. And I'm like, no, no, I was in the cats back in the 1900s, kids. Yeah. So it was so brand new and fresh. Yeah. But, so I want... I want you to tell me, tell me more about like when you got to New York, it was the show. Like it was, cause that's, that's, what's kind of fascinating to me is, is, is there was now it's 40 years worth of running. Like people have an opinion, but back then it was still new and fresh. And like you said, kind of the Hamilton of its time. Yes. So you it, wanted to be like, it was the, the, the best role you could get for a dancer. It was the show to be in. I mean, if you had cats on your resume, it just brought you such a level of credibility. It spoke so much about your 
technique and talent. And, um, you know, everybody wanted to be in that show. And I would go to these huge cattle calls in New York. There were like a thousand girls going to a theater to, to audition. And it was a daunting experience, but it was also very, very exhilarating. And I remember um, I, I had gone to dozens and dozens of auditions. But in the early days, I remember Jillian Lynn was actually uh at the table. She she wasn't teaching the choreography, but she was at the table as part of the audition process. And, you know, when you go to an audition, they constantly cut you and they cut you, cut you down. I mean, not in terms of they cut you out of the process and you leave. Um, and it was like, you know, an all day event. Um, and I remember being uh, one of the last groups of girls doing the combination. And Jillian Lynn said to us, that she was looking for dancers who were androgynous. She wanted people um, that could look like animals. And she was specifically looking for boys that could dance like girls and girls that could dance like boys. And I thought, I got this because my body is quite androgynous. And I, I was very, I was a very athletic dancer. So I think I knew in my gut that I eventually I was going to be in Cats. I didn't get the show that time, but fast forward um, to, I think, 1986, when I got the call from Andy Zerman, God rest his soul, that they wanted to cast me as Demeter. And they were launching a brand new company. And at the time, I was actually on tour with another Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. I was doing Evita, and I was in the uh, bus and truck tour. We were traveling around Canada, and that's the first time I actually got to see Cats. We were in Toronto. They had a, a, a cast there, and our day off, we went to go see the show, and it blew my mind. I had never seen anything like this, um, seeing the choreography that was just so fluid and interwoven throughout the entire show, because most musical comedies, you see a show, there's a scene, and then they dance, and then they sing, and then there's speaking. This was just part of the entire experience. And I thought, my God, look at these people. Um, and I, I just knew I had to get in that show somehow. And uh, luckily, I, I got a call, and I was up in Canada, and they said, we want to cast you as Demeter. And I was shocked, and I was confused because I hadn't auditioned for that company, but I think they had, me, they had me on file, luckily, and they gave me a call. And, you know, I, uh, I left Evita to go and rehearse for Cats in New York a few weeks later. So I find that super interesting that you say that when you went to see the show, you, you like were mesmerized by the dancing and everything else, because that is as it, it's being a dancer. That's like, you kind of notice the, the craft and versus for me is not a dancer, not a singer, notice the story. And uh, so when you watched it, I mean, how much did you know about the story? Because now, like, again, people kind of have that opinion when they go see it. But it, there wasn't that much reference point, And there's not the internet. There's not all the stuff that you can kind of go back to. There's no social media to have all these hot takes on it. There's no podcast. Like, when you saw it that first time, did you really know a lot about what, what the show was about? Besides that it was this kind of masterpiece of dancing. I had no idea. Right. Like you said, there was no Internet. We didn't have cell phones. I did not even read T.S. Eliot's book of Practical Cats. Right. That's what the, the show was mm -hmm. made. I didn't read the poem. So I went there with a blank slate. All I knew was that it was a big, hot show and I had to be in it. I just remember seeing posters in the subways uh, in New York City of the cast. And I thought that's going to be me someday. So when I saw like most audience members, we went because it was the hot ticket and 
I think from the beginning, just hearing the the, the Jellicle, the, the, the orchestra, you know, it just kind of mesmerized you and it brought you into this other world. And then you start seeing these actors dressed as cats and you're like, what is going on here, right? Um, a lot of the, the lyrics are very... Um, uh, you know, almost nonsensical and lots and lots of words. Um, honestly, I I couldn't follow the storyline. I got a sense that something was happening and all these cats were nominating each other to go to something called the heavy side layer, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then you see these different scenes. And you know what? It's just so masterfully done. You just went with it, right? It was just, just take me away to another world, the world of cats. This is what cats do in a junkyard. And um, it was pure fantasy. It was, it, I was just hypnotized by it. Yeah, you do have to kind of almost suspend your belief in realism for a little while while you mm-hmm. see it but so so now take me to new york and you now have to kind of make sense of a character that actually i mean to me has a ton of depth if you really kind of bring into the backstory or at least my interpretation of the backstory of demeter yeah. what were you told about demeter about how to play that character were you given a storyline per se or were you just kind of told about certain emotions or or certain things to kind of play no, we were, um, each of us were told our cat backstory and, and our relationships to each other. So you're right. Uh, Demeter has a lot of depth to her. Um, she's a cat that had been tormented and she had this, this dysfunctional relationship with the cavity. As you know, she's been abducted by him. She was taken away from the tribe. She somehow escaped. She's back now and she's under the protected wing of Bob Ballerina. She still feels like an outsider in this, in this tribe. So that's why when you see the movements of this character, she's very jittery. She's very anxious. She's still not, you know, confident. She's very scared. And so that's why in the second act, when McCavity comes back, that's the big dance number where I get it. He's, she's being abducted, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and then she still, even though she's frightened of him, she still can't get over him. There's something very alluring about this bad boy, right? Um, and hence the song McCavity, but she's still scared of him. But there's a, a lot of emotion with um, Demeter. I also think in the first act, she sings Grizabella the Glamour Cat. It's the first time you see Grizabella come on stage. And Demeter's the first one that reflects upon this character. And it's because I always felt that Demeter saw a lot of herself in the potential of becoming like Grizabella. That if she's kept on this path of being frightened and, and having that horrible dysfunctional experience with, with McCavity, um, she could end up like a Grizabella. So that's why she's, you know, she, she takes notice of her. She, she reflects on her life. Um, and, and, you know, thankfully bomb comes and tries to snap her out of this like mode of just, you know, listen, it's Grizabella, the glamour cat and just, just focus on yourself, Demeter. Don't, you don't have to get so emotional. I think uh, Demeter is the most emotional character besides uh, Grizabella in the show. Wow. Tell me why I was cast. I'm a very yeah. high emotional woman, right? <laughs> and, and what else were you told? I mean, I, I've been fascinated by the storylines because I feel like I get a slightly different answer every person I talk to about like what the backstory was for their character. Mm-hmm. So I know it's been a few years, but like what do you, who else was the relationships that you were told? What else were you told beyond like the McCavity? Obviously there's McCavity the abduction and potentially abusive relationship and all that piece. But what other uh, dotted lines to other characters were you given? 
Yes. So obviously, Bomb Ballerina, her sister cat, um, she's her protector. I also see her as kind of a frenemy in a way. Um, you know, even <laughs> though Bomb is there for her, she Bomb is still taunting her in a way. So that in itself is also a kind of a dysfunctional girlfriend relationship. Um, but the other character she has a connection with is Alonzo. That is her protector. This is the male cat. And and I think this is the character she, I could see her having a relationship with. And if she, she continues in the past, she can get, you know, get her life back on track. But Alonzo was another uh, close character. He's the one that actually saves her in that McCavity abduction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think Grisabella is Demeter's mom? <gasps> oh my goodness. No, no, I see, uh, I can see how people could, could envision that, but I see that Demeter sees herself, a lot of herself in Grisabella, in the fact that Grisabella talks about how she was beautiful once, right? Demeter, I think, is the most beautiful cat, and she's the most empathetic cat, and she's had these horrible experiences in her life, so I see that she relates a lot to Grisabella, but I don't think that's her mom. Okay. This, there's a little bit of a rumor. There's a rumor mill for almost every cat being related to every cat at this point. Oh, yeah. Wow. And that's one that because I think because of the song singing oh. it, because McCavity um, potentially being, you know, in the relationship and there's just a lot that you could kind of connect there. But I don't know. There's there's a pretty much every older cat and every kitten and everyone in between, there's some like somebody thinks that they're related in some capacity. Yeah, well, you know, cats are out there breeding a lot in the junkyard. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but that would be awesome to get all the Demeters together to talk about this. I never thought about it. It's great. Yeah, it's. I mean, and I've talked to a few, and no one's really been like, I never played it that way. So I don't feel like that's necessarily the the angle. But I've also been mostly fascinated by the what you were actually told, because there is clearly a one or two, the Trevor Nunn, and like there's a couple people that are involved that like, this was their vision. They have some thought, but then there's a lot that's just super open-ended. And then there's a lot that it sounds like it's based on staging. So it depends on where the production is, how they're staging. It's like, well, those cats might feel like they might be brother, sister, just because they happen to dance together, be staged over together a lot, which I, again, I also find fascinating that like, I, I can't go see your production. There's not like, there's no way for me to be like, Oh, how did you, did your production play it? Because there's just not the archives at least easily for me to go find. Yeah, you're right. And, and you know, it's true. There are, there are a lot of relationships within the characters and you do see it in the staging and in the choreography, right? So like mm-hmm. the they're always together and they're fawning over, you know, t- Rum Tum Tugger. Uh, but then you have the older, like, you know, I, I always envisioned um, Demeter and Baum to be around like, you know, late twenties, he's still in their, in their sexual prime and they're gorgeous. And, you know, they, they uh, they're, they're always together. Then you have the, um, the Jenny Annie Dots and um, uh, what's the other cats? I, uh, I try to memorize all these names again before this show. <laughs> I, I, yeah, but, you know, there, there are clusters of cats that are mm-hmm. together. Um, and, and, you know, we were told the backstory individually and as a cast because we had to understand each other's characters as well. Right. So and, and a lot of this is the subtext. It's not in the it's not. Uh, very obvious in this script, but it was our backstory that gave us motivation to do certain behaviors during scenes. Mm-hmm. So talk me through your tour. What was the reaction? Like, I, I know the, the like, you, like you've said, the Broadway world, this was the pinnacle. What was the reaction when you went into different states and different cities that 
again, has no idea what they're seeing. Maybe they've gotten the for, like been fortunate enough to go to New York and see it. But I can imagine where I'm from in Indiana, where there's going to be like 90% of that theater, if not 99% of that theater is probably never going to have seen it in the 80s. What was the reaction like from the crowd? Like, what did people think? Did you, like, what is it like it is compared to today, where there's like definitely an entire junkyard of super fans and then everyone else mesmerized is were you getting that reaction when you went from city to city absolutely i mean i I think people you know like you said back then they didn't have um you know itunes they couldn't download the the score right it was the first time for everyone seeing this but they knew it was a happening and they had to be there we sold out to uh we were sold out on, on the entire tour, right? We would go to the, you know, we would show up at the theater uh, before the show and we'd see like lines around the theater, people still trying to buy tickets to this. Uh, the audiences were mesmerized. I think oftentimes they were maybe confused as what was going on. <laughs> but what was fun about the show was that, you know, as a cat, there are scenes where you crawl to the lip of the stage and you're staring out in the audience and you would fixate on somebody. Um, and people were kind of freaked out by that, right? You know, I mean, you're, you're yes. scared of them. And then also at the beginning of the show during Green Eyes, everyone's looking straight forward, listening to the orchestra. And suddenly cats are running through the audience, flashing these green eyes in their face and people would scream and jump out of their seats. And or something. Terrifying. Terrifying. Going on. And so I think that set up the entire evening is like, you know, there was going to be something new, something innovative they were going to be exposed to. I think when they saw the big grand jellical ball, people were just like stunned. You see them just like back in their chair looking at this, thinking, when are they going to stop dancing? Right. Mm -hmm. And after at the very end, just the roar of applause i mean i think people love the show they were always amazed and, and then in between shows you know we played um cities all across america there were big cities like boston and la and chicago but we played small towns also like we went to new orleans and shreveport and indiana um you know and then in between shows we would go to the local restaurant and see the audience at the same restaurant and they would come to our table and be like oh my god that was the most amazing thing right um, also on our show, what was so unique is that it was the first time we played outdoor venues. So we played these huge theaters like the Muni in St. Louis and Starlight in Kansas City. Um, and they're like the largest outdoor theaters in America. So as you know, Cats is a show that takes place at night. And there we were actually playing these scenes on a summer's night under the stars. It was just magical. And how, so that another thing that I, I've been a little fascinated by set design just in general, I know that there's an inflatable set that, that the most recent tour was using the outdoor when Jonathan and, um, and even mentioned that is fascinating to me because how, like, how does Grizabella go to the heavyset layer outside? Like, how do they rig that up? Like I just, there's so many moving parts to these things. Are like how you could make this work in an outdoor venue. And you know, what's amazing is how they, set up these shows, you know, when we traveled on this, on a weekly schedule, they had, you know, as soon as the, the curtain came down, these guys disassembled the show, put it in the truck, and then shipped it out to the next city. Um, and it was a massive set, as you know, right? 
But mm-hmm. when we took these huge venues like the Muni in Kansas City, the stage was like the size of a two, two football fields. We had to even also restage our our, 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 our our dance numbers to make sure we filled the stage. But I think when we did those shows, they actually had two sets to kind of fill up the space. Um, and as far as a heavy side layer, we still had the huge tire that was built on hydraulics that still lifted up. So that was still there. And I honestly, I can't remember if they had the, um, they must have, they still must have had um, like rigs above where Grisabella walked up to the heavy side. You know, honestly, (laughs) almost 40 years ago, I can't remember that detail, but I do remember having like to to do a lot of running around the stage to fill the space. It was exhausting. Yeah. Again, just the, the level of, I mean, with it being 40 years. And the level of like how many different variations of this and what you see and the nuances and um, does give the show a lot of kind of craziness. Did you, when you were on tour, did you ever have any, I don't want to say like haters, but was there any, like any, anybody who did not like, didn't enjoy it, didn't get it? Like, because there's a lot of people now that hate the show for one, for some reason or other. But I, I feel like at that point, did you feel any negative, not negative press per se, because it's, it's like, like you said, the Hamilton, but was there any, like anything on tour where it was just like, wow, someone did not get it? Oh, well, you know, you read the reviews and sometimes they would say, you know, they would talk about the storyline not making sense and, you know, but it had nothing to do with our performance, right? It was just, they just. Absolutely. Right. Um, many times I would feel haters, like when I would crawl to the lip of the stage and stare at somebody, I would realize I'm staring at someone's boyfriend and the girl that would be really mad. So things like that. But honestly, I don't I don't think we got haters. I mean, there was no social media platform where people could post negative comments. We felt nothing but love and support on that tour. Yeah. So I love that. So because of how sexual nature McCavity's song is when you're doing that and then staring down some boyfriend, like the girlfriend's mm-hmm. getting mad at you. Yes. <laughs> I remember even on Valentine's performances. Well, yesterday was Valentine's, but you know, going, you, you go, you know, the show opens and you see all these, you know, people on dates and all the girls who are in pink and red. And I'm thinking here I am in my little orange leotard sweating to death. And yeah. boyfriend's looking at me. All right. You know, that's that's really funny um so uh, the criticism that i that i've kind of made as you know it is parody but is that this plot doesn't make sense so how would you if you were today having been in the show and let's pretend hopefully you know that let's pretend it's back on tour it's back on broadway once everything kind of gets back to normal how would you tell someone who's never seen it here's what to go expect. And, and I want to, I want to say more of like the plot line because the mm-hmm. singing, the dancing, the the set, everything is like at that point, I think everyone knows how amazing that is and how incredibly athletic of a feat it is and how clever and creative it is. But what would you tell somebody of the story? How would you explain it to them? Well, I will first say, you know how cats have nine lives. This explains it. So <laughs> this is the one night where old Deuteronomy, who is, the this the the godlike character he comes in and he's like okay tonight's tonight I'm going to pick someone to go on to their next cat life and you all have to convince me who is most deserving of this so now you're going to see these cats telling their own speaking on their own behalf as to why they should become you know have the chance to start a new life or someone may be speaking you know on someone else's behalf mm-hmm. like you know, like uh, Jelly Lore, and we'll talk yeah. about less. So just sit back, 
listen to the different stories and different perspectives about, uh, about this. And you'll also see different characteristics of cats and why they do certain things. And, you know, um, just, just enjoy it and, and see how cats live their different lives. Just like people, right? Yeah. Some people have great rock and roll lives. Some people just have a bad string of bad luck and they just need to have another shot at life. And this is what the show's about, getting another shot at life. So I think that that's, I, I like that interpretation because that's kind of the the core of what I think most people have said. There's a lot of like very clever and creative versions of the plot as well. But at that sense, that's where I also saw it. And I, and I thought, how do you defend Grizabella being picked if that's the case? Um, that's kind of the argument I've been making, which is I did think this is a, let's everyone make their case. And then old Deuteronomy is going to pick the best case. Right. And I didn't think Grizabella made the best case. You didn't? I didn't. One person's very uneducated Broadway opinion <laughs> <laughs> was that Grizabella did not make the best case. Uh, I, you know, I, I can't say I agree with you, Mike. I mean, when I, when I see this show, there are some cats that sure they're deserving of going to the heavy side layer. Like I think Gus had the most charming story and mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, obviously he's a thespian, so we all loved him. Um, I think Demeter probably next round, she's probably up for, uh, the heavy side layer, but you know, you look at Grizabella and her backstory and what she's gone through and she's just trying so hard. And the fact that these cats have just ostracized her, I mean, what else she got? She's got to start all over again. She needs a clean slate, right? So um, thank God Victoria was, you know, she's the young kitten. She still is, she's not tainted. She's not all, um, tainted by life and, and doesn't have, you know, the attitudes that maybe some of the older cats have that just shunned her. Um, you know, Victoria was innocent enough to also see that this is a, a cat that deserves it, right? She's, she is at the core, Grizabella still has a heart of gold. Um, she's had a rough patch in life and she needs to just have another shot. Yeah, I can, at this point, I can make an argument for almost anybody. And I get Grizabelle's argument, but I still struggle with it. I definitely do. Well, I um, Obviously, I'm not an attorney. I couldn't convince you with my argument. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I, I do think like the, the, at its core, I always made, you know, my parody and my joke has always been that it's based on the best performance. And memory is, is very compelling and incredible. But I was, as a viewer more mesmerized by Tugger and Mistopheles and a couple of these other like very, very show-stopping experiences. Yeah, yeah. And so that's where I was like, well, if we're doing it, judging it purely off of who deserves it, then from a performance, it was one of those two. From a story, it's Gus. And then from a like maybe secondary story, it's Grisabella. But I also find trouble with the, if the Jellicle cats only get one choice, we're going to give it to someone who we almost shunned or left us or completely abandoned us and is coming back and is immediately going to be our one choice this year, which I find, I find troubling. Yeah. But you know, Grizabelle is the one person that needs it, right? Like you see um, Rum Tum Tugger and Mistopheles. Yeah. They have great numbers, but they still have so much life to live in this. Tour for, sure, for sure. For sure. And I think that's the Gus argument then. Yeah. Gus and needs it. She needs it the most. Gus he is the most charming character, but I feel like if he if he stays on this earth another round, everyone's going to still rally to his side, take care of him. He's going to be the sweet old grandpa we all love. But 
oh, poor Grizabella. She, you know, she's not deserving of what's happened to her. Um, and so I, I was just always happy to see her go. Plus, I feel like that was the best member of the show. We had the most wonderful Grizabella, Leslie Ellis, and I think you, you spoke to her. Yeah, yep. She went on to become a Grammy award-winning vocalist. And, you know, we just did a, a benefit, uh, as a matter of fact, where we brought the entire cast together. And it was a benefit for uh, COVID relief for Broadway Cares and Actors Fund. Leslie sang uh, Memory again. And I thought, okay, I know she's a fantastic singer. I know she's still singing with her musical group. And I, I but I thought, wow, to sing Memory, that's, that's a really hard song. How is this going to work out? I'm telling you, she sounded amazing. So, yes, Rosabella, definitely. Yeah. Well, I've been able to – I think I've been able to turn about half the people I speak to. So you're staying in the other half um, on, on the Rosabella side. Yeah, yeah and I did um, – Les's performance was great. And even the most recent, like the – you know, you did a – for the benefit, there was a performance, which was also amazing. We'll include the the link for anybody that does want to donate because um, they're, they're still fundraising for Broadway Cares. So we'll include that in the description for anybody um, that's listening to this. Please go and support the cause because, um, yeah, that benefit was, was really, really fun to watch uh, back in – I think it was – it was – the end of last year um, when they had October. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We got together because as you know, uh, theaters, because of COVID theaters shut down on March 17th and the entire theater community, not just actors and dancers, but backstage people, everyone's been out of work for over a year and maybe another half you know, year more. So um, the cast got to, well, actually it was conceived by Jonathan Cerullo, our director and producer and Austin Jaton, who was our old dude. And they said, Hey, let's, let's, on a benefit and and help support the actors fund um and it was actually it made a lot of sense because when we were on tour 34 years ago this was at the um, height of the aids epidemic and mm. it hit the broadway community hard um uh, at the time uh, michael bennett who was a broadway uh, of you know director and choreographer as well as our own uh dance uh supervisor and and Choreographer Michael T. Michael Reed, he had just passed of AIDS. Plus, other young men in the cast and people we knew in the community had died of AIDS. Um, so even back then, Jonathan said, "We've got to do something. We've got to help out." So we we put together a benefit performance in honor of Michael Bennett. And at that time, we it was a uh, we did the show in Kansas City. It was a full production with an intermission. We had costumes and lighting, and it was. It was quite incredible when I could think about it. You know, when you're young and you're doing it, you don't think it's a, a monumental effort. But, you know, we were still doing our cat show eight times a week. Plus, we were rehearsing these numbers like the opening of Chorus Line and the finale of Chorus Line and the TikTok dance and all these numbers. We were doing it after the show in the hotel lobby or in meeting rooms or we would be backstage in the theater rehearsing. Um, net net, we put on a huge benefit performance to support and uh, the AIDS uh, uh, crisis. And this is before Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS was even established. But we raised $34,000 in one evening. And so our cast continued to do these fundraisers throughout our tour. 
always raising money to support um, the Gay Men's Health Crisis Center and uh, AIDS-related funds. So fast forward, here we are again in another pandemic that's affecting the theater community. So it was just great that we pulled together this benefit where we did some numbers from CATS, but it wasn't a, a performance of CATS. It was more of a celebration of CATS, and, a, and, and it reflected on what we're dealing with today with COVID in terms of isolation and uh, paying tribute to the essential workers. So we did a, a four-night benefit and we raised over $25,000. Um, certainly, if any of your listeners are looking to support the theater and Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS, I urge you, please go to our site at broadway.org slash cast2020 and please feel free to make a donation. That's, uh, yeah, it, I remember, you know, just getting to, to talk to, to Jonathan about that and, and hear the, I mean, at that time too, that much money at that time is, is an unbelievable effort um, for such a cause. Yes, yes. I mean, if you look at the, uh, someone did the calculation, if, uh, today's equivalency would be over $80,000. Wow, in one night, wow. yeah. That's oh, that's amazing. We did a couple of shows. There was one we did in uh, Washington D.C. with Lily Tomlin, and we did other cabaret benefit performances. So uh, we were our cast was a very special cast. We were a family, and we were always very focused on various philanthropic causes. Incredible! I want to do a quick rapid fire for you okay. on a couple couple quick questions and you know we already covered I, i'm not going to convince you on grisbell I'm, I'm also the bad attorney uh in convincing <laughs> you that grisbell is wrong choice but i do want to ask a couple a couple questions about the show so number one would be um if you were not the meter suspend your vocal range dance ability just if you could play anybody you're capable of doing anything which character would you really want to play which track Mm, rum tum tugger tugger so you want to go out there and just have a blast yeah I, I i want to have a blast i love big big movement big comedy i love it that's <laughs> awesome that's i think that's one of the most fun parts of the show that you just oh. just a, kind of a free-for-all in a sense um what's your favorite song in the show mccavity of, of course of course, it's bluesy, it's jazzy, it's sexy. Yeah, all the things I used to be when I was younger. <laughs> um, what about favorite character and least favorite character? Oh, I can't say least favorite character. That's you have me. to have one cat you didn't like. No, not person, not. not not actor, actress. The, no, the even, cat. No, because somebody. I don't. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But what was the other one besides favorite. Least, my favorite. favorite? Yeah, favorite character. Um, you know, I, I always loved Demeter, but I, I love Bomb, too. I thought she was hot. So it was great to play with her every night. Yeah. You don't have anybody, you don't have one character just like, uh, I don't really understand the, the, their purpose. <laughs> I would say the second cockroach, uh, second row to the left. That's okay. what I know. <laughs> well, I can say mine because. Our cockroaches on stage. Those mine, are the ones I hated. Yeah. Mine was not in your production. So I always, I've always said Peter, which is. Gus's ensemble dance character yeah. in the beginning who does nothing else besides dance in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. There are a couple of odd characters like that. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, now I want to ask you about the movie because you said the cockroaches, did you see the most recent like theater, not like Broadway movie, like the movie movie, the movie movie. Yeah. Yes. The movie movie. What did you think? Um, I, you know, I enjoyed it. I mean, come on. I'm sitting at home for like 12 months with COVID. I enjoyed Cats, the movie. Yeah. yeah. 
well, the, you know, that cockroach scene, that, the cockroach scene is what made me think about it. Cause that, that part was a little disturbing. It was very disturbing. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was, it was a different take on cats. Um, I think in a way it, it explained the backstory a little more. So I think as, as a, as audience member, you would see it. Uh, you would understand what's happening, I think. Um, yeah, but like some of the visuals, like you said, the special effects, like the cockroaches, that was kind of, that was gross. Um, but, um, you know, there were some spectacular dancers in that. Oh, absolutely. Um, I actually wow. thought that the, the editing didn't do the dancers justice. No. Because yeah. there was some of the, I think some of the best dancers out there right now that never got just a, a a frame or a couple, a section where you could see them doing their skill. It was always moving around so much. So it was kind of hard to follow. Especially the last Jellicle Ball, the very end was a crescendo and the music gets faster and faster. And these dancers are just doing amazing things, but the camera kept moving. I was like, why don't they pan back so I could see people dance? Yeah. That was like my biggest gripe in the entire thing was that, was that knowing some of the dancers that were in it, knowing I, my other big gripe is I, I'm not a big fan of the original, um, the British of Mungo Jerry and Rebel Teaser, but maybe uh, it's just because I liked the one I saw so much and it was like stuck in my head for weeks after that when I saw that they did that version, it was, I was just not prepared for it. Yeah. And they, they really did make uh, Victoria more of the star of the show, right? Mm-hmm. Um, why is she in that number? And then why is she seeing this other song that wasn't in the musical? Um, why are people talking? And there's talking in it, which was the other thing that, like, there's no dialogue in the, the theater productions. Exactly, exactly. It's a little cheated a little bit to tell the story. I want to do it to tell the story. I mean, you know, it, it's a film, it's Hollywood, just like, you know, when they adapt books to film, they take, they, they change it, right? They, mm-hmm. you take all the subtext you would get from a book. And so, it was to be expected, but you know, it was, it was nice entertainment. It, the thing I liked about it is it brought back so many memories. Yeah. Right? So for example, my husband has never seen cats. He's never seen me perform. So I actually had him watch the movie. Um, it, it was hard to have him sit through the whole thing, but I, I would point out which cat I was, but it wasn't the real Demeter. It, I was kind of disappointed in that. You got to show him the uh, 1998 VHS Yes, I know. that's that is like the theater production of it with a little extra um, flair added to it because there's no there's no crowd or anything as well. Um, but that's much more traditional, at least. Exactly. Yes, yes. I think um, I'll see if I can get them to do it this weekend. I don't know. I if nothing else, if you just go to YouTube, that's what's on YouTube. So you can just give them like three or four minute clips at a time. Exactly. Well, he did see the Jellicle, um, the opening Jellicle songs many times because for the for this benefit we just did, that's where I, I had to jog my memory and try to remember the song and what people were doing. And so I, I watched it over and over again on YouTube. So he has heard it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's not for YouTube though, right? I love yeah. it. Yeah. Last, um, last rapid fire question. If you had to be quarantined with one of the cats, which cat would you want to be quarantined with? Oh, bomb. Just the bad girl. Yes. I mean, we would be drinking wine and different <laughs> people and yeah, we'd have a ball. So it you're, just, you're Demeter through and through. I love Demeter. I do. I think she's the best character of the show. Amazing. I love Demeter. So I know you're, you're not, um, in theater anymore what what are you working on today um is you know are you on social media i guess are you how can we find you what can we follow with along with you um in today 
Yeah, yeah. So you're right. I'm, I'm no longer in theater. I actually retired when I was pushing 30. Um, so now I'm, I'm a global marketing director in Silicon Valley. I, you know, I went back to school for business and marketing. So I did a whole, I did my own heavy side layer. I have a new channel. I, I, I re- reinvented myself. Amazing. But I am on social media. Um, on, on Instagram, I'm Deborah underscore Athens. I'm on Facebook. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm out there. And I also post a lot on the uh, Cats musical groups. So, um, yeah, Incredible. I will be posting your show on my social media um, to the, uh, the high tech world. <laughs> I'm so excited. Um, is there anything else that we didn't cover today? What else did I miss? Is there anything else that we, I know we, we covered the benefit, which I wanted to make sure we did, but mm-hmm. um, and I, I feel like we answered everything I, I wanted to talk about, but I'm, I'm also now curious because I know you've got more I, years of experience on cats than me. Yeah, I think um, maybe the rehearsal process. I think that was the most unique thing, right? Um, So typically when you do a show, you, you, you go to the studio and they give you the the score and you start learning lyrics, you start learning choreography, you learn your lines. And it's, it's a, it's a very structured, uh, highly concentrated period because you typically only have like four to six weeks to learn the whole show and mount it before it opens. When we did Cats, um, I remember going to the studio and there, there you see like 30 other dancers and they're all just gorgeous people. And um, instead of starting to learn music and choreography, they actually started talking to us about the story, the backstory of Cats, what it means. And then they had us do like at least half a day, almost for five days of theater games. They had us improvise, pretending that we were a cat. And I remember they had us crawling around the floor and they'd be like, now team up with a partner and pretend you're playing with a ball of yarn. Or now you're going to pretend that you're grooming yourself and go and go take a nap. And so here we were crawling around the floor, pretending we're grooming other people, other cats. And I remember thinking to myself, do we have time to do all of this? Because there's a lot of choreography and lyrics in this show. And um, actually it was, it was a brilliant move because as you know, in the show, there are many, many moments where as cats, we're just sitting on a set observing the scene. Mm-hmm. So when you're sitting there, nobody's telling you what to do. You have to know how to behave like a cat and react to the scene like a cat. So when doing all those improvs and exercises of pretending to be a cat we were able to understand the length the, the body language of a cat do we knew how to react with other people as a cat so i think that was one of the most unique experiences in mounting a show is spending so much time just doing a lot of improv and and exercises and and trying to inhabit the um the, the life of a cat you know thankfully i grew up with cats my whole life so i i kind of understood how a cat moves and how they jump and etc but um to do it with complete strangers was a whole new experience yeah yeah cat cat school right so well, you grew yeah. up with cats they my cats the uh, we grew up with uh, my family's always had cats and they just sleep all day so that's why i'm always like what what's the mannerism when they're just laying there all day yeah and believe me there are many times during scenes we would pretend we're sleeping too yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's your break that's definitely your break, that's our break yes. amazing amazing um well this was so fun to kind of hear back from the experience um you know early on and in the reaction and i love hearing i you know i think that there's i'm still waiting to find the the person that hates the show 
to come talk to me um, because I want to, I want to, I want to know, like, it doesn't seem like there was that back then. It was just like such a pinnacle and such a hot ticket. And then it went on tour and everyone got to see kind of this craziness, but also this masterpiece for the first time with no backstory or knowledge now, like you know, now everyone goes in with some opinion almost completely. I think I might have been one of the few people that went the first time without a lot of opinion and just said, I know I need to see this and knew nothing else. And it was a little refreshing because I don't think that that happens as much in today's day and age. I love getting to hear about your experience when that was pretty much everyone's first experience with the show. Yes, it's, it's quite magical, right? And it's a testament to why the show still endures four decades later. People yeah. are talking about it, right? And, and you know, you go to the, the different fan um, sites on Facebook and, and Instagram and people love the show today. And it just makes me so proud that I was part of theater history. Well, thank you so much for being here. And thank you, everyone else, for listening to this episode of The Wrong Cat Died, the podcast breakdown of the cast Sashafi. To follow along, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Wrong Cat Died, or check out our website, TheWrongCatDied.com. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.